Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. All right, my friends, I've got a treat for you today. And you know how I feel when I get to bring friends onto the show. It just hits different and it feels so good. And today we're going to talk about something we never talked about, which I'm judging myself right now. Like how have we not talked about EFT and tapping and all of these, we, we talk about modalities all the time. How have I not covered this one? So today I'm going to have my new magical friend, Amanda Bible on the show. She has a company called Inner Beauty Bible, B-Y-B-E-L. And she is just a superwoman. She's, you know, I love the term omni-woman. She's a mom. She's an entrepreneur. She's a speaker, yoga enthusiast, a wife. She has a cat. She has babies. She's an early riser. She loves coffee. She left corporate. And most of us, we're both sitting here with our coffee. We're caffeinated. <laughs> and she is a master certified NLP practitioner, neurolinguistic programming. She's also a trainer. She's a certified success and life coach. She's also a hypnotherapist and she's certified in time techniques, EFT. I mean, where do we go? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Without further ado, let's just dive in. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I'm excited to be here. It's funny because we've just been like jamming out before. I know. (laughs) I know. I'm always so impressed by someone who has as much going on in their business as you do and has two kids. You know, one of your kids is sick right now, has a birthday party coming up. I don't know. Women like you, I'm like, how are you doing all this? What's the secret? Um, The secret is a lot of coffee. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of coffee and ongoing to-do list. And I mean, I am a avid EFT tapper. So yeah. yeah, And you know what that, it it was something I learned back in 2019 and I just went all in with it and I use tapping every day and it really just helps me center and be present. Yeah. It's a big part of my daily routine. You know, it's interesting because I feel like these modalities, obviously there's a science behind it, even acupuncture. I did acupuncture for a while and my Mm -hmm. guy who's in LA, you know, there's a lot of people who couldn't have a baby. They were having fertility stuff and he could take a look at their scans and see a big difference. You know, the doctors were like, what are you doing? And so I feel like there's all these mystical things Mm -hmm. and then we can get into the science of it. It's okay with acupuncture, it's activating these centers, these little needles that are, they're touching him. What is happening with tapping? Can we make sense of it for everybody before we even get into how to do it? Yeah. So it's actually pretty similar to acupuncture because acupuncture works with meridians of the body. And so does EFT tapping. I once heard this definition, it was like about a year ago and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so 
real and makes things, I guess, more like you could see it a little bit better. So like your chakra systems are like the artery, the energetic arteries of your body. Mm-hmm. And then your meridians are like your energetic veins. Mm-hmm. So with EFT tapping, you're working with these meridians, your energetic veins that run throughout your entire body. And when you're feeling like um, any sort of pain, limiting decision, any clogged energy, any negative thoughts or beliefs, frustrations, it's essentially clogged energy. And when you're using EFT tapping or acupuncture or something like acupressure, which works with the meridians, you're realigning stuck energy so that it can flow through, flow freely (laughs) throughout your body again. Okay. Okay. So that you're more in alignment, essentially. What I started to realize is I would wake up feeling a little bit frustrated on a daily basis. I have history of addiction and eating disorder. So I naturally, as an addict and naturally as someone who struggled with a lot of body dysmorphia, look in the mirror in the morning and be like, ugh, you yeah. know, who mm-hmm. am I? So with EFT tapping, it actually was something that I was able to implement to get rid of that ugh feeling. Mm-hmm. And start to step into more just like comfortability and contentness and then eventually move into the like high vibiness that I wanted to be feeling on a daily basis. I love this a lot because I don't think I talk enough about this idea. Like we talk a lot about the mind on this show and we mm-hmm. have experts on about reframing beliefs or releasing beliefs or clearing them, but there's not enough talk about this weird feeling that you can just have. Sometimes it feels like you have no reason to feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. Mentally, we can't wrap our head around it. It's like, why do we feel so down today? There's nothing or anxiety. It's the weirdest thing for so many people, I'm sure, where you just suddenly get this sensation of anxiety and it's maybe you're searching in your head, like, why am I anxious? I have nothing to be anxious about. This is against common sense. And so this is so cool to kind of meet the body in the body with tapping. And as you said, these meridians, you know, one thing I really love about the actual um, process of tapping is you're saying your pain or your frustration or your negative belief or limiting decision, limiting beliefs out loud, and you're tapping at the same time, it really forces you to be very present Yeah. instead of in the anxiety of that ongoing to-do list or whatever isn't going right in that moment, you're saying specific statements and it takes you away from that searching in your brain where you're like, what is this coming from? How come I'm feeling this? It's more just getting grounded. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I love it so much too. I love that. And I feel like talking about presence and okay, now I want to explain how to do it because everybody listening, they're probably (laughs) thinking to themselves like, okay, I'm feeling something. I don't want to feel it anymore. Where do I even put my hands? How do I even tap on myself? I feel like we've seen TikTok videos of people just, it looks like they're patting, rubbing alcohol on their toner on their face. Do you know what I mean? Like doing their morning makeup routine. (laughs) Exactly. Like how do we help everybody listening now kind of get centered in this moment where let's say they get off the podcast today and they're like, we're going to give it a go. Where do they begin and how do they presence themselves to even set that up? And how long does it last? Is it like a two minute thing? Tell me more. Yeah, you can do a a quick two minute routine with the tapping. I mean, for me as a very busy mom and business owner and like all the things, I have cats that yell at me every morning to eat as well. Like I don't have a nine hour morning routine. That's just something that I can't 
you know, implement. So it's two minutes in the morning is really all you need. Or if you want to do it throughout the day as you're feeling any anxieties, but you really don't need that much time and just enough time to sit there, get present. And you'll, you would start with tapping your karate chop point. So that's like the space, the meaty space in between the bottom of your pinky and about like your wrist. So Mm -hmm. if you were to make a fist, almost that part right there, Mm -hmm. I use all four of my other fingers to tap on it because then I know I'm at least hitting the energy point somewhere Mm -hmm. instead of putting it all around. So it's, you'd start on your karate chop point and you would say a statement, like, even though I'm feeling this anxiety right now, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. So you're recognizing that state that you're feeling, the negative state, maybe it's the overwhelm, the anxiety, the frustration, any negative self-talk. And you'd give awareness to that. You bring awareness to that feeling, but you're also saying that I still love myself. Regardless of this feeling, I deeply accept myself. So you could say, even though I'm feeling anxious today, I still deeply and completely love and accept myself. Mm. Do you usually use the same lingo or do you shift it around? Does some morning something feel totally different or true to you that you'll say? Yeah. So I'll start with, you know, anxiety or overwhelm or frustration because sometimes I don't know if it's the same thing for you, but for me, sometimes I can't place where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. sometimes it's just like that general yeah. feeling of overwhelm, or I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, yeah. or I'm just like, oh, it's yeah. raining, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the wind blew the wrong way, or whatever the case may be. So sometimes I'll just start with that general feeling or state of being that I want to shift. Um, and then I will start back on the top of my head. So there's different tapping points throughout your body. And I, do you feel your hand like almost vibrating a little bit right now? Actually, I was about to comment that it almost feels, I feel more grounded. Yeah. Um, And it's fast. It's really quick. So you don't have to go through a whole tapping sequence, which I'll show you how to do if you, but you can really just do the side of your hand right over here or pick one or two tapping points that work for you, especially if you're like on the go. Tapping is proven to reduce cortisol, your stress hormone by over 40% in a single session. And that means you sit here, you're present, you're tapping and you say what you want to say, how you don't want to feel and how you want to be feeling instead. And you'll feel calmer. Wow. I love this. I can't, I'm like, how have I not talked about this? Because I have, I have a couple friends that post a lot of TikTok content on tapping. Yeah. But it's interesting because I do hear this idea. I love and accept myself. Mm -hmm. I feel sometimes people have resistance to saying the thing that is the prescribed thing to say. So is it just as effective to say, I'm proud of myself or I'm here for myself or whatever resonates? Yeah. I think the reframe there is you're tapping. So you clearly love yourself enough to want to get rid of that negative emotion, right? Or you care about yourself enough to want to get rid of that negative feeling. Tapping, you can say, I care about myself. I'm proud of myself. I accept myself or whatever is true for you in those moments. You know, another thing that I like to do is if I'm not fully feeling that acceptance or self-love in the moment, I would say I want to be feeling that self-acceptance and I want to be feeling that self-love. And that's true. Yeah. I want to be feeling that way. I'm just not there yet. And that in itself is a massive shift because if you want that, I, for me, want doesn't feel scarce or lack. For me, want is unlocking what's possible for me. (laughs) If I want something, I know that 
inside of me, there's like that desire, which means it's available for me. Sometimes I'll use just like that want statement to bring me closer to where I desire to be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that you shared about addiction because I know that so many people have addictions. It's interesting. I saw my therapist the other day and I, I rarely see her because I've been with her for seven years. So maybe once a month or every other month now and something pops up. And I was just thinking, I was telling her, I'm like, how do people do life without talking to somebody? Like, how is everybody doing this? Yeah. And she said, they're not. A lot of people are suffering and they have addictions and they're using things to cope. And I sat with that and I was like, okay, there's like the more clinical side of addiction, right? There's like alcoholism or porn addiction, sex addiction, shopaholic. And I feel like we're in a society that kind of celebrates things or lets us hide addictions, right? Yeah. You know, being a workaholic, it's like we're celebrated for high achieving. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a big brother who I love who he worked so hard most of his life. He got laid off 10 years ago. He's back at work now. He has a startup. But I remember we have a different mom. So we have the same dad. And his mom died when I was a little girl. And it was so wild. 20 years later, he's a workaholic. He got laid off and he was grieving his mom. Like it was like a delayed 20 years later, visceral, like she died last week. Like he was processing her now. And I was like, this is what happens when we're so addicted to something. We don't always process what's happening. And I'm no expert on addiction. But I love that you found all these modalities. And also as a businesswoman, like I I feel like there's the addiction, there's the thing we're doing to self-soothe or whatever we're doing. And then there's the motor behind it. So even if we stop doing the thing, there's this like motor that like keeps wanting to run and it's going to want to put its energy somewhere. So talk to me about healing. Like how, and I'm so happy to be sitting here with you because like my sister, you know, she died from addiction and Thank you. And I, I guess it's like, whenever I meet somebody that's, yeah, I've overcome that and I have all these modalities and healthy tools. So yeah, for anybody listening right now, like maybe they think they, you know, know somebody that has an addiction or if they're really honest with themselves, they have one too many drinks they know, but they don't want to know. How do they maybe start to just soften that awareness with some of these tools? Or what was this a turning point for you? Because I know some people they get hit by a two by four and they have to change their life. That was you. That was me. Yeah. I mean, for me, there wasn't like that point where I knew that I had to change my life. That point for me never came. It was a very near death situation for me where I you know, I found drugs and alcohol when I was like late high school, early college. I grew up with a a life-threatening disease that was something that I couldn't drink and I couldn't do drugs because I had something wrong with my liver and that's where everything kind of processes through. And I think I had been born with the gene of addiction. And if someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, you better go watch me do it and I'm going to do it better (laughs) than anybody else. But it played into, you know, my actions, attitudes, and behaviors throughout high school and college. And when I finally like hit a point where I started to see like major consequences, I remember like standing in the mirror. It was April 6, 2013. I remember like just watching, like looking at myself in the in my own eyes, being like, I wasn't born 
to be this person. Like I didn't dream of being an addict. <laughs> like yeah. I, I dreamt of being like a, you know, a queen or a superstar yeah. or something, you know? And I just remember thinking like, how do I go on this anymore? I've like spent so much of my life, like numbing all the things, like all the pain, all of the feelings of not being good enough, not being seen, not fitting in, having this illness and like feeling like, you know, I, I didn't belong. And you know, there's like this, that defining moment of the mascara and the green blazer and the ponytail on top of my head. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, but for me, I don't want to do this anymore. Wasn't like, let me give up drugs and find a new way to live. It was like, let me see like what I can use to just end it all right now. Mm-hmm. And I woke up a couple of days later, I was in the ICU at a hospital from a near fatal overdose. And that's when I was like, okay, can't even do this right. (laughs) You know, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad sitting there holding my hand and being, you were, that was like, you shouldn't have come up out from that. There's something you're born to do great, be here. You're here for greatness. And I think it was in those moments where I was like, wow, you know, I wasn't on long runs where people couldn't find me for weeks at a time. It was just a little bit here and there. And what I realized in that moment was like, it wasn't about going out for 10 days in a row, doing all the drugs you could imagine and having as many drinks as you can imagine. It's how it felt for me when the drug entered my body. And like when the drug entered my body, it made me want to kill myself. And for anyone who's struggling too, I, I think that there's such like this common misconception of what a drug addict looks like and what an alcoholic looks like, or like you're stereotypical. So for me, I didn't look like a drug addict. I wasn't living underneath a bridge. Like I had all of the things I never lost anything. And I was silently, but not really silently dealing with this like really deadly disease of Mm -hmm. drug addiction. Okay. And anytime I used, I did really shitty things to myself that put me in near death situations. So Sometimes it can be that bad and sometimes it can be worse and sometimes it's not that bad. And sometimes you just have to think about, it's not about comparing what your addiction looks like as compared to somebody else's. It's a matter of like how it makes you feel on the inside. And for me, it just kept perpetuating this unworthiness feeling. When I came out of that, I went into a long-term rehab, which I, it saved my life. You know, like I learned a lot about myself and the therapists there used traditional therapy, but they also used techniques like EMDR and they used other things like EFT tapping. And my one therapist was also a coach. She was like more of a coach. And shout out to Leslie. She is someone I still talk to this day because I have 10 years clean and sober and, you know, eating disorder, behavior free. And I think because of the darkness in my life is what brought me to want to be a coach. And I remember when people are like, you're going to be a life coach. No, that's amazing. <laughs> you're going to be a coach. Fights or have the darkest darks. That's the thing. 
I know. So like at that point, you know, I had spent about 10 years searching for fulfillment in the corporate world too. So like I was like up and down climbing the corporate ladder, but finding coaching for me was something that bridged the gap between feeling unfulfilled in life after, you know, finding recovery and then also being able to work on myself, implement tools and not only feel better when I was in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, because when I would attend meetings, I would feel great when I left. And then I had nothing really in between unless I called my sponsors doing step work or things like that. But like for me, these modalities have been such a game changer because I didn't learn how to like emotionally regulate as a kid. I didn't know what any of that meant. And I mean, most people don't because we learn from our parents who learn from their parents who, you know, scream, yell, or completely avoid. Right. (laughs) Totally. A hundred percent. And it's interesting because I grew up in a house where, first of all, I, as I get older, it's like, I'm falling in love with my parents in a different way because I'm seeing their humanity. I'm seeing them as like their own little struggles and things that they've gone through. And I feel like I used to want to be able to say that and have this compassion. But now as an adult, I don't know if it's that I just did that road trip with my mom. And in the same way you do freeform writing, I know that psychologists say if you write freely, however, whatever the voice is in your head, you just write it out. Usually after 10 minutes, unconscious material comes up. I feel like that's the same with a freaking road trip with your mom. It's on the 20th hour, we've run out of topics. And I'm like, do you believe in aliens? You know, what is- <laughs> did she, did she believe in aliens? <laughs> we both think that the galaxy is way too big for us to be the only living things in it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And so it was just like, so healing to spend time and start asking her about her upbringing, realizing how much we don't know about our parents. But mm-hmm. on this note that you're talking about of developing and all of these things when it comes to like processing emotions, you know, I always having a sister that's an addict, I remember people would say, oh, you know, your age freezes at the age that you start your addiction. And my sister started using drugs when she was like 15, you know, because my okay, same as you. Yeah. My dad was divorcing her mom. Her mom, right after the divorce, got really sick, which is really sad. You know, it's like you lose your dad and then the mom suddenly is terminally ill. So my my sister, and my brother from that marriage, they went through a lot. And she was using, and it's interesting because I remember growing up, she would always talk about high school. And I always remember thinking, like, why is she talking about high school? She's 40 something years old. Like, why is she talking about this so much? And it wasn't until later that I realized if every single day or every single week, when you're feeling the feelings of life, you're feeling that hard day, you're feeling that hard week, and you turn to something and you don't have to finish thinking about that thing, making sense of that thing, you're freezing your age. You're just putting everything on this shelf and numbing. And it's like you wake up 15 years later and you haven't processed the past 15 years. And So it's interesting how people say that, you know, you kind of freeze your age. I never really realized that, but I saw it before my eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because my best friend growing up, she also had an addiction to, to crystal meth and she was kicked out of college for it. And I was the only friend her parents felt safe with her hanging out with because she was really just in the throes of it. So I grew up around quite a bit of people who had addiction And what I learned is that life happens in seasons Mm -hmm. and moments. I feel like it really comes down to that. One of my best friends from growing up in middle school, we used to take the school bus together. And to this day, we're the best of friends, Brenna. 
I remember she was in a season and she would drink too much and we'd go to Staples Center in LA for a concert and Brenna would be missing and she fell asleep in the bushes and people would like laugh, but I was like terrified, you know, because it's like, where the fuck is my friend? I'm not leaving here without my friend. So friends would make fun of her and be irritated by her. And I'm like, she has a sickness. Mm-hmm. And I remember this moment where everybody's like, we need to have an intervention. And I remember feeling very protective of her. Like, you guys don't get to have the intervention because you don't, you're making fun of her. I'm doing this by myself. And I remember walking into her house that day, feeling like today's the day Brenna's going to stop drinking. And it's, I'm not, I can't be over responsible and be God, but I hope I can just get through to her with so much love. And I remember I sat her down. She had a glass of wine. I pulled the wine. And I'm like, we need to talk. And I had tears coming down my eyes. And I'm like, this is going to kill you. This is going to kill you. And you're in denial. And I need you to borrow my trust because I've been friends with you since you were a little girl. And you, your judgment isn't, I don't want to gaslight you. I don't want to outsource your intelligence, but I need you to believe me because you're not making good choices and I'm watching it. And this moment, please let this moment be a change. She never picked up a drink again. And it's just like you, she got her PhD, you know, she studies psychology. She got her PhD in it. She's gone through so much. Her, her dad died, you know, out of nowhere, she found him like it's, but she has the tools to process life now. And it's, it reminds me kind of for you, it's life happened in a moment. Like you were in a season of addiction and there was enough of a moment to put you in a new season. And so for people listening right now who are in a season that they don't like. Maybe it's just tapping or using some of these resources to start to process life, to start to feel better, shift their energy. But what do you have to say, or how can we help somebody right now that if they're honest with themselves, maybe it's not an addiction, maybe it's on the edge, maybe an addiction's a 10 and they're an 8.5. What can we say to help them shift it up? You know, I think something that would help me if I, you know, were talking to my younger self, would just be like, is this how you viewed yourself and what you wanted to be and how you wanted to be when you were a kid? What are some of the, some of those big goals, big dreams that you had and how did you imagine yourself being? And are you living that right now? And if you're not, what do you have to do in order to change it? You know, if you're being really honest with yourself, you know, I turned to journaling a lot and channeling, you know, my younger self and a lot of the inner child stuff has really helped me heal. Another thing that I like to do too, is like, I just imagine that I'm, I'm talking to my son when I do the inner child stuff. And like that really brings me back to reality very fast because we're hardest on ourselves, yeah. you know, and we're our own biggest critic. And like, sometimes it can help, but like most of the time it doesn't. And it's like keeping you stuck playing small and wishing and wondering that there was like more out of life. But imagine you were talking to the three-year-old version of yourself. Like, what would you tell her? What would you tell him to do in these moments? Because 
we all see the innocence in children and we were all little baby at one time too. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think back to like little baby, Amanda, like three years old was so scared, like being in the doctors. And that's what I had been running from my entire life. Like I didn't know how to deal with any of that. And if you're dealing with any sort of addiction on the edge of addiction, or, you know, you might think that, you know, curiosity, can I stop drinking, play a game with yourself? You know, yeah. make it a game, make, make it fun. See how if see how far you can take it as far as like not picking up the drink or not picking up the drug. Because if you were anything like me, like you give me a challenge, I'm going to be the best at it. And I think that's a really great trait that all of us addicts tend to have is like a really good fucking challenge. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to tell me I can't do something or that I shouldn't do something. I'm going to show you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Like that you say that about yourself because I'm the opposite. Like I'm the least competitive person ever. And I'm the first person at the end of the race to be like, at least I participated. You know what I mean? Like, I am so not. And I love that you kind of pointed that out, not as a symptom, as a potential quality that people can pay attention to. It's like a strength and a weakness, like everything else. You know, that's actually something that really helps me. You know, I always thank the past version of me, the version of me that had the addiction and stuff, because, you know, I made a lot of really bad choices, but coming through all of that, I was always walking through the fear, you know, mm-hmm. and just like every, everyone else out there, like you lean into it just to see what the next step is going to be. And for me, I think about like drug addict, Amanda would call every single drug dealer in my phone book until I got what I wanted. Now, how can I leverage that really awesome quality <laughs> to get what I want <laughs> into real life and into business and into like all the things that I'm manifesting and all the goals that I want to set for myself. So I'd say, give yourself, you know, give yourself a little credit, give your, give yourself a little credit because you're sitting here listening to a really inspiring podcast. That's the first step, you know, listening that there's more out there for you and play a game. You know, it's interesting. That's a psychological tool is to encourage people. Like you say, play a game. I say, do an experiment. And I think it's because commitment and change is hard, but when you gamify it, experiment it, it feels so much lighter. So I love the suggestion. One of the things that I feel like you've used in yourself to channel in a positive way, all this energy you have for life, all of this energy you have for challenges is it sounds like you've built a business and I feel like quite quickly, like mm-hmm. I have been doing this podcast for five, six years. I think we have 70,000 downloads a month. And I feel like you built your show and you're getting even more of an audience and you've done it quickly. So obviously you're a badass and you work hard, <laughs> got all that energy in you that I'm a little more like a poet. That's just like, well, I'm in my feelings and it's moving slowly, you know? How can you talk to me about what you think the super power has been for you? Obviously it's these modalities that have helped you with your mindset, but from a tactical standpoint, I know there's a lot of people right now that let's say they're doing mindset work. Let's say they are in a job they hate and they want to start a side hustle. They want to feel like they're building something that can take care of them over time. And it doesn't have to be more than maybe $500 a month, $1,000 a month. They just want to get that start. Yeah. What was some of the biggest mindsets, tools, approaches you did that you feel like really got you into momentum? 
Yeah. So I just want to throw out there that this was literally a decade in the making. So okay. sometimes like the last, it's always going to be the, like that last thing you try that's going to take you to that next level because you're not going to try for other things if it's like working, yeah. right? That's <laughs> so, such a good point. Yeah. I mean, so it was the last thing I like put my feet into and it was early 2019. So before that, I tried everything under the sun to escape my corporate job. But the mindset there, even before I found these modalities was I was committed to not working for somebody else. I was like, I'm going to figure out a way to create my dream life. And I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know how we're going to get there. But when I finally found the coaching and personal development, like I had set goals before, I just never had achieved them. The biggest shift that I made was taking a look within. And, you know, society has a lot of definitions or stereotypes for what things are supposed to look like, sound like, feel like based off of society's definition or your society's definition. Cause every, I guess every part of the world is different. But for me, I had always been under the impression that success was supposed to look like being a CEO of a hedge fund or, you know, being at the, working from the penthouse of a top office building in New York city, because that's what I knew. That's when I I looked up to people who were wildly successful. They were, you know, big time CEOs of, you know, big corporations and things or like Angelina Jolie or someone who's on, you know, a big screen. And I didn't want any of that, but I knew I wanted to be successful, but I didn't know what success was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So the biggest shift that I made and I think what catapulted my success was I redefined what that meant Mm -hmm. to me. And when I redefined success and like what I wanted my version to look like, I was able to take action in an aligned way that didn't feel icky. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had spent so long climbing the corporate ladder, you know, title increases and, you know, promotions and all the things. But I didn't want that, but I thought that's what success was supposed to be. So I was like miserable, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it's so wild. What we think something is and who mm-hmm. we actually are can be so separate. Yeah. And it's so challenging the world we live in because like, I remember getting to college and then being like, what do you want to major in? I'm like, how am I supposed to know what I'm into? How am I supposed to know what I'm good at? I'm 18. I've never done anything. I worked at a preschool over the summer and had got head lice, by the way, from the preschool. <laughs> so not a vibe for you to be like a college student with head lice like oh my god yeah did you like shave your head (laughs) my mom was very seasoned head lice remover after me being five in the sandbox with a whole time of it oh my gosh yeah but like I I would invite you to take like these subjective words that like you can redefine and define them for what they look like sound like feel like for you or what you would like them to be another huge shift that I made too is like I used to wear I'm a perfectionist like a badge of honor yeah and guess what? Perfection is the lowest standard that you can strive for because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist unless you're like taking the SATs or like a Scantron test or something. And it's all fake. It's all a fear. But like instead invite yourself to think about let's like leave perfection at the door. But what is my version of excellence look like? And what is my version of success look like? Because those are things that you can redefine every day. 
Because sometimes like we talked about in the beginning, like you wake up on the wrong side of the bed or you have a frustration or life's happening or, you know, this, that, the other thing. And like you get to define like what excellence is going to be like for you on that day and strive for that. You know, at least you're either taking a step forward, even if you're taking a step back, it's 10 steps more forward than it was, you know, a month ago. If you're looking to, you know, reach your level of excellence on a daily basis, that would be something that I would say would make the shift right away. And then when you're ready, start to take a look at some of the modalities that you could incorporate into your life. And even if it's just like a minute, two minutes per day, do a little bit of tapping, use your like the karate chop point, tap on that, say how you love and accept yourself, even though you feel this frustration, or if you have this lack of motivation today, or you don't want to do anything, I still love myself, I still woke up today. And I'm proud of myself for that. Maybe it's writing a couple affirmations down in your journal. And and reading them out loud, looking at yourself in the mirror, or if you're not there yet, ask yourself how you want to be feeling, even if it's just content. <laughs> mm, I love that. And those of you who don't know what EFT stands for, it's emotional freedom technique. I mean, when it comes to tapping, it's like, how can we, and I, I know I read a, a study that, I mean, it just does so many magical things. It touches on your central nervous system. It touches on your heart rate. It touches on your blood pressure, your endocrine system. Significant declines were found in anxiety. I think a study I read, it was like 40% reduction. You'd mentioned yeah. that. Depression, PTSD. I feel like there's so many modalities out there. And this one feels like such low hanging fruit. It's just tap your little karate chop point and say something nice. So easy. I can do this. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. one final thing I want to ask you is I, you know, I remember before I started a business, I always thought that making a lot of money or having a lot of fulfillment or having a lot of success was for other people, especially having had a dad who worked his ass off and lost all of his money and almost claimed bankruptcy. I remember thinking like success is followed by massive failure. Like why climb when you're going to fall? And I had to work on my beliefs, obviously. But I remember when I started my business, I was like, if I could at least make 30K this year, I'm willing to like rough it in LA and have a roommate. And I'm willing to do anything for this kind of freedom in my life. I remember kind of making the bar low motivated me and I ended up way exceeding it. I know everybody's motivated differently, but I love that you just share like this deep wanting. And I think a lot of people listening, they don't feel like success is meant for them. They have to work on their beliefs. They don't, you know, and maybe they're just meant for a side hustle. Maybe they are meant for corporate, but they're meant to have a side hustle. What is the biggest turning point you've had where you realized in your business? Oh, because I've learned in business, it's kind of math. It's, I need this many leads and then this many become customers and that's business, right? There's three things. There's sales, there's a middle person, right? Sometimes you have a salesperson in between or a broker, a business broker that's bringing you a deal. And then there's offers, right? Like having a grand slam offer, having lead generation. So business is actually quite simple once you start to get to know it. But what are some tipping points for you in awareness or some strategies you used? Like maybe it was Facebook lives or social media. What was it that you felt made you realize, oh, people do want to work with me and there is ways to just turn this into kind of math. Yeah. You know, it all started with me, you know, yeah. it wasn't really, I guess external validation is always a big thing because, you know, you don't have a business unless 
somebody <laughs> shows up. Yeah. <laughs> somebody shows up or you're it's making just a money. hobby. Yeah. I know. It's just a hobby. Right. And I think that's a huge shift was like, you know, this isn't a hobby. This is what I want as my business uh, before it was even a business and, or before it was generating any income. When I first started, I set the bar like very low and it was, let me sell $20 for 20 minute mentorship sessions and see if anyone is going to purchase them for me. And I like went all out trying to sell these things and nobody bought them. Mm. And it was really disheartening because it like, why didn't anyone want to buy the $20 sessions from me? But what it all came down to is that subconsciously I was blocking it because in order to replace my corporate income, which is what I wanted to do, I'd have to be working a hell of a lot more for my $20 for 20 minute sessions yeah. <laughs> than I already was for my corporate job. So a big shift that I made was connecting that I don't have to burn out yeah. in order to make money. And I think that's something that so many of my students experience and so many people just in society is like, we see that, like what you saw with your dad, right? Like you work really hard and then you're going to lose it all. But right. that gets to end with you. If that's not what you want, like, what is it that you do want? And when we operate from what we don't want, we actually perpetuate the cycle of what we don't want and it keeps continuing. But if we make the shift of, okay, so this is what's in my mind right now, I don't want to feel overwhelmed in my business. I don't want to, you know, feel embarrassed on, you know, going on my live videos. Okay, great. That's amazing. And I don't want to feel that way either. But what do you want to be feeling? Yeah. And like, how do you want to embody that? And when you can define what that looks like, how, what you're putting into the, um, destination as your GPS, your actions and attitudes and behaviors start to shift because you're operating in how you want to be instead of how you don't want to be. I love now, looking at self-fulfilling prophecies because mm -hmm. actually I did lose all my money and I'm in a tipping point now in my mid late thirties where suddenly everything is falling into place. And astrologers, not that I'm diehard astrology, but I do love it. They've been telling me like 36 is your golden year. And it's so been the case. Like I have done so many shifts, but it's interesting because self-fulfilling prophecies, I want to break them down for people listening. Here's how it looks. My dad lost all his money. What did I grow up with when I started a business? Fear of losing all my money. I started making a ton of money and was like, whoa, this is a lot of money. Last time I saw a lot of money, it was gone. I better hire a bunch of lawyers to make sure I'm allowed to be making this much money. Hired a bunch of lawyers, spent a quarter million dollars on lawyers, which is a lot of money, but I was making a lot of money. At 26, I didn't have a mindset to even hold all this money. And the lawyers found all these problems, but they weren't really problems. They were gray zones because the law is one big gray zone. And I, coming from the Pentagon, was like, I don't do gray. I do black or white. I don't feel safe in the gray because I lost my dad lost all his money and I'm not going to risk anything. I ruined my business. I looked at my sales webinars and I chopped them up because I didn't want anything gray in them, which the whole world is gray. They stopped converting. My ad stopped working. It was all because I decided I wanted to hire a bunch of people to make sure that I could be this successful. And then my money started going down and I was refused. I'm like, I can figure this out. And I held on for so long and I went from $5 million to negative $500,000. That is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's the same with dating, right? Like you're scared to lose someone. So you act different. When you're scared, you act different. You're not you. And then you can't win things over because you're not being the winner you are, which is you. Yep. So then you act all weird and then the person doesn't want to do you because you're weird. So that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Love that you brought that up. 
Yeah, it's because we operate and I don't want to feel overwhelmed today, but I already woke up after my alarm and oh my gosh, I'm on the vibration of overwhelm when you say you don't want to feel it. Yeah. So if you find yourself doing that, just ask yourself, what is the feeling that I want to be feeling today? And what does that look like for me? And how does that sound for me? And what are some actions that I take when I do feel peaceful and calm and, you know, zenful or whatever the words are for you, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) zenful. Is that even a word? I I was literally like, that's a brand you need to get that information. Yeah. I'm sure that domain (laughs) is taken, but it's really good. What a creative, this has been, I, I love spending time with you and you're so full of information and inspiration I have a, I had a friend on the show that I really want you to connect with. Her name's Andrea Crowder. You both just remind me of each other in such a powerful way. Yeah. I met her a couple of years because the answer to your question was collaboration, mm-hmm. not Instagram lives, but collaboration. And through collaboration, I met Andrea and I met her through Jamie King and we connected through a giveaway. Oh my gosh. Like we connected through yeah. a giveaway this year. Yeah. I do a lot of giveaways. I love them and it really helps to extend your network. Yeah. I love that so much. And you put so much work into that. Like you really led the charge of that. Thank you for being here where people are listening and they're probably like, okay, this woman has so many modalities where my cup runneth over. Where do I begin? Where do people start with like really getting into your world? You come visit me on Instagram. I do a lot. I'll do really quick EFT tapping videos on there. It's Inner Beauty Bible on Instagram and all of the socials. My in, my website's Inner Beauty Bible. So you can type it in B-Y-B-E-L. And I respond to all of my messages. It's not some automated random person. So you can always send me a message. Oh, thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcast.